Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 59, Continuous Improvement and Remote Work Success with Marianne Snow. Remote work, it's here to stay, and that impacts everything. For many, remote work is still something kind of new, but for Marianne Snow, who is the author of the soon-to-be-released Remote Work Handbook, remote work has been her area of expertise for more than 20 years. That's how long she has been leading remote teams and continuously improving how to operationalize remote work. Marianne is the CEO and founder of Sophia and the Remote Nation Institute. Mary Ann Snow, welcome to the Edges of Lean. It's really, really nice to be with you today. Hey, Mary Ann, tell us about yourself. What is it that you're doing? So, Bella, um, uh, I live in the world of um, remote and distributed teams. And what I mean by that is um, my company, Sophia, and our project, the Remote Nation Institute, we help organizations operationalize in remote um, work and distributed team situations. And um, uh, in our institute, we teach leadership skills, how to run a remote and distributed team effectively, productively, and positively. And I know that's very interesting to people who are working in lean and continuous improvement, because one of the first things that we're taught um, in lean especially is the importance of going to the gimba which means going to the actual place where work is happening and as we all know you know since the pandemic and certainly in my life before that when i was part of distributed teams like global distributed teams that was a that was a challenge right you you just you cannot go and see the work happening so a lot of what we think and believe about how we as managers as leaders um, help our employees become better at seeing and solving problems and and coaching them all the stuff that we learned about how to do that that got taken away from us Um, and I don't think that we've solved all the problems there so how did you get into this well um, just like you Bella I got into this because I was working in situations where I was inside companies actually implementing process improvement solutions, change management solutions in large distributed organizations. And um, uh, it started out regionally and then moved to nationally, then it went to international. And in that time period, just like you said, sometimes it just wasn't cost effective, wasn't time effective, wasn't in the budget to physically be present. And um, uh, and when you're not on site and you're working on a daily basis with folks who might be in not only um, a different location, it might be a different time zone, it could be a different hemisphere. I worked with people in different hemispheres. Um, you're dealing with a lot of practical and and just pragmatic. You have to be pragmatic because 
the plain fact is, is that in a global economy, you can be working with a, a highly dispersed team, but also a highly um, just um, very uh, unique and um, culturally diverse team, right? For lots of different reasons, whether it's a discipline or um, uh, an actual geography or language issues or whatever. And so um, I got into the work because I had to operationalize solutions, very often change management solutions that were associated with process improvement of whatever type uh, the organizations I was working with, whatever system that they were working with, lean, um, uh, different iterations of lean. And in that work, to your point, it became very obvious to me that there were approaches you can use, techniques that you can use to build relationships, to um, incent people to be cooperative and and establish trust and and to um, moderate in these forums, to educate in these forums, to incent in these forums, to operationalize in these forums, but you couldn't do it with line of sight techniques, right? You couldn't do it with old style. Uh, we're in the same room, let's whiteboard this out. Now we are in the same room through whatever video platform you're working with. And now we're doing whiteboard techniques differently. We're moderating meetings differently, but you can do it effectively. And and so what when you started to 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 do this, how did you start? What what were some of the things that you that you experimented with? So um, I have an incredibly nonlinear career path, right? Um, yeah. And oh, great! I love that. So um, I started my career as um, a liberal arts major. And um, uh, the beautiful part of being a liberal, liberal arts major is critical thinking, right? Um, having to really analyze and um, uh, fundamentally look at things from multiple perspectives. And that was a, a really critical skill. But the other critical skill I learned was writing and um, uh, communications, being able to express myself in lots of different ways. And that was really fundamental, I think. And then um, I got involved with service businesses that um, were expanding. And, um, and quite frankly, I started my career saying yes. And so when somebody said, this project is a mess, we need somebody who's willing to kind of go in and, and figure it out, I would say, yes. And then it became send Marianne. And then it became, um, you know, you should own this. And then it became me um, uh, teaching people based on trial and error or what worked in a particular situation continuing my education and um, what did I learn during that process? Um, you know, so it was very ad hoc at the beginning and the technology was was not good. You know, I mean- It was horrible. Technology I mean, was horrible, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the only video option when I first started was Skype. 
Um, uh -huh. It was one to one and it wasn't going to be a group meeting. Um, uh, conference calls were a disaster. Uh, and even before that, um, quite frankly, I remember um, having to distribute messages for um, different types of pilots and um, uh, different types of rollouts via, via um, videotape that was a physical videotape. Maybe it was on VHS or maybe it was on CD-ROM. And then we were sending it, we were physically sending it through the mail. You know, um, so one to many techniques have certainly evolved. And, and I feel like a kid in a candy store now because there are just so many options mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. didn't exist before. So, yeah, so I, I love that. And, I, and that's, a, that's such an um, amazing career path, Marianne. And, and one of the things, you know, that I, that I think that we, we sometimes see, especially in those disciplines, those improvement disciplines that come out of engineering is it's hard to switch over to, well, let's think like a liberal arts major, you know, that's, but that's the key, right, is to, is to look at things from multiple perspectives and being willing to try and experiment. And that's, that's how we, we learn to do things to learn to get better and boy I, I remember those days I um you know just um oh my god uh, yeah Webex we used Webex for a while in, in in the company I was in which supposedly we could see each other but nobody ever turned <laughs> their camera on I mean I mean literally have people who covered their camera with a little piece of, of black tape right so they <laughs> They couldn't be turned for whatever reason. They were afraid of their camera being hacked. I don't know what they thought they were going to do in front of their camera. Um, what, what, whatever reason. Um, and then you just knew people were multitasking, right? Yep. Because they were so busy and so swamped. Yep. So one of the one of the things that is that has changed a lot, obviously, is we you know we have improved. We have this improved technology, improved video technology. We've got some really nice whiteboard technology out there that people are experimenting and doing great stuff with. And um, you know that so the technology has advanced a lot. But what are the skills that we need um, to really succeed? Because it's not just are you very good at, at mural or or, you know, can you, um, you right, know, right, 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 right. Can, can you sort of pass your image on Zoom so that you feel comfortable looking at yourself? You know, what what else do we need? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, now we're talking about fundamentals related to operationalizing change, right? Because um, uh, uh, Lean clearly has value in the sense that it's going to give you a, a, a formulaic um, framework, a, a sort of fundamental framework for evaluating a workflow or a process or a dynamic, and then um, identifying some sort of opportunities that exist to be able to improve productivity, right? And um, gain, gain some, um, uh, some positive outcome that will be helpful to the business or the organization. But um, on a fundamental level, Bella, you know, we're dealing with people because you can come up with the best plan in the world. And if you can't actually um, implement it and operationalize it successfully in the, the human circumstance, then um, this is very often where any process or any change management um, effort fails because people are always the hardest part right they're the messy point they're the messy bits they're yeah. the the tough part 
And so, um, you know, some of the, the things that have to happen for anybody who's going to be working in a, a change situation is if, if you're doing lean, coming up with a solution in some ways is, is the easiest bit um, because operationalizing the solution so that it can survive and actually reach its potential that's the moment where the rubber meets the road, right? That's the, the moment where you actually get people who, who have real skills. And so one of this is, uh, uh, is understanding human dynamics, studying change management, thinking about, um, uh, uh, I think, um, negotiation, influence without authority, being able to um, moderate, um, discussions in very uh, dynamic circumstances, really kind of think about things in a methodical, deliberate, and mindful way, because um, these are hard situations where people are emotional, where um, they're assessing things based on, um, you know, that change is Am I winning or losing in this change? How is it going to impact me? Um, uh, it's not going to work. We've tried it before. You know, we've all heard. We've all heard it, right? Yeah, so those and I, are the types of things. Right, and and I, and I would just add, from my perspective, from Lean, we know that that simply finding a solution, as we prefer to say, a countermeasure. You know, which is the thing that we're going to try. See if we can set a new standard with, um, you know, in, in in a small organization, in a small group, the group can come up with that themselves. And then the change, they can own that change. They feel better about that change. But when you're trying to get to how does this version of this countermeasure, how does this apply? And can we take that across a broader organization if it, into different cultures, different plants? You can't always get the involvement from everybody who would like to be involved, right? Right. At some point, um, there is, you know, there are going to be changes that, that are going to happen that not everybody can be involved in creating and not everybody's ideas are going to be involved in at least the initial implementation of it, right? And that's when people come and they 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 say, well, you know, these people from corporate or you know, whatever it is, they're imposing something on me, and I didn't get a chance to have input to it i hate it that you changed my job you changed my role um and you know and lean because we want continuous improvement it's not about slamming that thing in there and just walking away from it but even if we're not doing that we're, we're all going to have these have these feelings I, I just i just wanted to you know put a little bit of a framing around that so um it, you know it's it's not just about taking something and you you all got to do it but it's taking something with the understanding that we're probably not all going to have the opportunity to be involved in creating that initial change, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. I would also, I mean, I think that will bring it even one step further, because even in small organizations, in small groups, there, you know, how do you, how do you democratize that change in, in terms of feeling, you know, getting people to feel empowered, because even in a small organization, there will be resistance. You're never going to get a hundred percent. You're never going to get a hundred percent conversion. And, um, you know, how do you manage that? And, and how do you think about that and show compassion, but still be able to move forward. 
and um, then when it gets into more complicated businesses and my um, uh, last projects inside of organizations, you know, spanned global entities, you know, 32 countries, 28,000 folks, 11 lines of business, highly regulated environments, lots of variables, lots of factors. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're taking those learnings from those relatively small um, uh, group activities and then um, really kind of thinking about magnifying um, uh, all the variables that could be magnified in that circumstance. Right. Really and you know, tricky business, right? And, and you don't necessarily have the time, the bandwidth to understand and analyze all those variables. Right. right. So, so, and that, that, so, so, and people are not going to necessarily tell you. In fact, they probably won't tell you until it's too late. And that's compounded by being, by doing this in a remote distributed environment. Right. So, um, you know, yeah. just yeah. I, I've, I, if I'm feeling like I need to say something, but I'm going to have, but I have to say it in a, in a zoom meeting and it's 10 o'clock at night in my time zone. And I'm yeah. not a hundred percent sure what you're saying, because I don't really understand your language all that well. I'm not going to tell you what the big thing is that's going to make it hard for me to, to jump over to that change. So if you're the person leading this, if you're the person facilitate, facilitating this, what is your responsibility then to, to have, and how do you how do you start to bridge that gap? And I think, you know, part of this is understanding that in distributed teams, and I think you have to do this even uh, in person, but um, particularly in distributed teams, is um, uh, what's the pre-work that has to happen? Um, what's the due diligence that has to happen? What kind of um, um, pre-meetings do you have to have? What kind of um, uh, organizational assessment uh, activities do you have to engage in? So you're not just looking at work process, but you're actually looking at, at organizational structure. And you're not just looking at workflow, but you're actually looking at personalities and tenure and team culture. And, and, and you're not actually, um, there has to be a listening tour, right? But listening tours are going to happen a, a little bit differently because you're only in, in the best of circumstance, you're only going to get a, a particular perspective. I think the advantage, if you've been doing this a long time, is that there are some universal truths. People um, uh, find it hard to accommodate change, you know, and that's, that's the truth. Yep. Universal yep. truth. So if we start with that baseline, not because um, people are bad, not because um, uh, people are necessarily um, obstructive, but um, they look at it differently. So understanding the psychology and the, and the dynamics associated with those things and doing your due diligence up front and then creating an operating structure that will allow people to at least be able to understand what's expected of them, even if they don't like it, right? And, and now you can create an operating structure that is predictable and consistent so that you can, can tell people ahead of time, you can talk to folks, you can note their reactions, you can solicit, um, uh, convertibles, folks who 
will find opportunity in that change. You get excited about it. And now you start to build a coalition, right? And um, you think about it in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the different change management frameworks that can be utilized, but you're gonna have to do it in a distributed team. So there's gotta be a lot of listening. There's gotta be a lot of follow-up you have to be much more cued into your pre, pre, um, uh, you know, meeting stuff, creating a structure that's consistent and and um, deliberate and mindful, and then you gotta stay attuned. You, you're gonna have to do follow up in a different way. You can't assume. Mm -hmm that people are gonna do follow-up because they're just gonna say, yup, yup, yup. And the day of the go live, you're gonna find out the hard way that um, nobody lifted a finger. So um, you're gonna have to create accountability structures that um, uh, are gonna have different types of indicators that allow you to be able to do your due diligence throughout the process. And, and again, to do that in a way where you, you don't you don't necessarily have that opportunity just to wander around, sit down with somebody and say, hey, how it's going? How's right. it going? Did you try this yesterday? Did it work the way you thought it would? Um, yes. And, and then I would think also, um, you know, in, in, in doing this, there's this sort of tendency of some leaders to, I, I hate to say this, but to kind of get bored, right? So, so in their mind, we made it to the go live and you made me do all this pre-work and I didn't really necessarily want to do all this pre-work, made it to the go live and now we're done, right? It, it's good. I want to move on to the, to the next thing. Um, but it's, you haven't actually accomplished the change if you're not reinforcing the change, right? If you know, it's, it's, you have to, you have to make sure you, that your reinforcement is built in and that, there's encouragement to continue and that you're continuing to learn. And yet business kind of pulls us forward to what's the next thing and, and can we move on to the next thing? So, so there's conversation there, Marianne, isn't there also with, with, with leaders, with sponsors about the importance of staying the course. And when, the, when you thought the project was done, it's not, it's not, you know, I, I hate the term people say, well, okay, now it's going to be business as usual, right? We're done with the project. Now it's business as as, as usual. Um, so so we we sort of drop it right at the point where we should be pushing it forward and, and doing all of this in a remote, distributed way. So yeah, what are some well, of the things that you might do operationally? I, I you know I, and I just had the conversation with a client the other day because you know we're laying out and one of the things that I'm saying to them is is operationally operationalizing the change um, you know means that you have to look at the full cycle the assessment piece the planning piece the rollout piece um, the go live piece because they're all distinct right and then once we have the go live who's going to own this operationally from a budget perspective how are you going to maintain this how are you going to sustain it long term and how are we going to get those stakeholders involved early and then um, what do we have to do to support those people? And, and it kind of depends, right? Because I remember being involved with one rollout where we were rolling out a major um, general ledger system that had to be tied into a, a, a global fiscal cycle. 
so that that turnover and the support for that turnover took 18 months you know um uh, and it took 18 months because we had to go through every aspects of the the fiscal oh. calendar um uh, and that was a big education process for um the folks who were owning that stuff so i think that that's a and you know i just uh, i spent I have a book um, uh, that's coming out in September about operationalizing change and distributed stuff. And I spent a whole chapter talking about don't don't mess up at the handoff because this is where it really lives and breathes because your team supposedly, if you've done your job right, is, you know, they're already converted to the change. They're already um, feeling the excitement they understand what um, the goals are, but, you know, um, getting it to the owner, the operational owner, putting it in their hands and assisting them to the point where now it just becomes, this is the way we do business. That's where a lot of stuff um, falls down. And if you're going to do this in a distributed environment, then appreciate those frameworks again. Um, uh, you need a different set of accountability, uh, a different set of a accountability metrics. Um, you need an operating structure where trust has been established. And it's already you, established. You, you yeah. can't wait to establish it afterwards. Yeah. 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 And then um, uh, also, what are your success measures, right? Um, what are your success measures? And how have you inserted those success measures into things like um, um, executive leader reports and dashboard um, frameworks and things like that so that now um, uh, you're actually inserting it at the executive decision level, but also how are you um, inserting it into job descriptions? How are you inserting it into um, compensation cycles, into how people get promoted, into all of the elements of the organization so that it, it is now embedded in a, a meaningful way. I, and I think that is something that is easy to overlook, right? Because if you think about, well, who owns the compensation system? Well, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's it's, it's finance and HR, right? So maybe finance and HR aren't involved in this particular project, right? But that system, is really is really the thing that is that is pulling on a lot of people's um motivation and engagement now money's not the only thing right you know so it's also you know what do i get what do i get the pat on the back for you know you know for from my boss what what are the things you know that i need to understand are the things that that are not acceptable that we need to figure out another way to do and a lot of that is intrinsic to how managers manage but these biggest systems can get these sort of, you know, the, the things that, that drive compensation, reward, promotion can get very disconnected from the change that's happening in the organization. And uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, um, here's how I, how I approached it. When I approach it and I actually approach it as an internal person, uh, and I've also used this technique with uh, clients. I have a national, I have a client who's a national insurance company and um, they obviously as a result of not only um, some changes in some of their market where they're consolidating 
offices and um, making changes to their internal structure. They're also experimenting with continuing flexible work options going forward, right? Well, um, one of the things that we talked about from day one is you is something that I did as an internal person, which was I formed executive steering committees with all of the key discipline stakeholders. So there was a, a point in time where I was working in international finance and um, to my previous point, 11 lines of business, highly regulated, tens of thousands, right? Cast of tens of thousands. And um, if you're gonna implement a change and you're going to do it, the head of HR was on the steering committee. The head of risk was on the steering committee. The head of um, legal was on the steering committee. Operations, the individual operations heads were there. Um, uh, the people from technology were there. IT was there. So um, you're getting the voices in the room that are key to particular disciplines that, that are underpinning any major change in an organization today. In the national insurance company, same thing. It's like, you know, if you don't have the operators there, then they're gonna tell you that, that remote work isn't possible. Um, if HR isn't there, then, you know, how do you add it to the hiring process, to the compensation process, to bonus structures, to job descriptions, to competency models. If if IT's not there, how do you get the webcam? You know, to yeah, people? yeah. How do you change conference rooms and rewire them so that you can do in-person, virtual, or hybrid um, options for meetings? So it's like, and and then how do you keep the place safe? And how do you um, uh, maintain that um, from a budget uh, perspective? So finance was there. And so think about that. People have to think about um, some of these changes very holistically. And we're not necessarily built for that, right? Um, if you're running a PMO office, then you've got a full portfolio, a slate of projects. You are um, the person who is looking at things from a limited resource point of view, from a, um, how many things can we do at once, mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, um, you have to um, think very holistically because you have to look at your 12-month calendar and say what's possible at each um, position in the year given everything that is out in the world. Well, if you're doing this in distributed teams, you better be this strategic. You better be this global. You better be that thoughtful, because if you're not, then um, you know the it, you're not going to be able to move something forward because you're not going to be able to create the accountability structure that can stick. And when you're dealing with an international company too, you're also dealing with uh, with different finance and different HR systems, right? I think that's you know that's that's the other thing that makes this even harder. So so you among among other things, so you know just decisions about we're going to you know create this new position or you know we are we don't need these positions anymore, which in one country might be easy to do and another country may require months and months of, of preparation and, and notices and um, you know very different very different perspective um, from 
you know, so, and so that kind of leads into sort of another issue with doing this. And something that I found um, when I was working um, in a big multinational on these types of teams and that it, it could, it could feel like you end up um, sort of with these back to back to back to back meetings. You're trying to cover all the time zones. You're trying to get to everybody and human beings don't function well under those circumstances, right? Your brain gets tired. Your eyes get tired. It's, you can't maintain, maintain attention yep. um, under those circumstances. So what's the, is there an answer there? How do, how do we, how do we do this well at the same time, not destroy ourselves as human beings, you know, have ourselves glued to the office chair and our eyes glued to the screen all day? Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. And I think um, part of it is really uh, reimagining what communication is and what it looks like in this, in this, um, this distributed environment. And, and the irony, Bella, you know, people were working in distributed environments well before COVID. Um, so you and I have been dealing with some of these things from a practical point of view for years, but nobody ever gave it a vocabulary word, right? It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that's named, right. right? But we were trying to figure it out. And so one of the things I would say to you is, um, first of all, you got to become a multi- multi-channel communicating ninja, right? And that means you really got to look at all of the options that are available to you. How are you going to distribute a message? And if you're going to do any sort of a lean implementation, just like any change implementation, there better be a communication strategy and mm -hmm. you better think about it from a multi-channel perspective. When do you need to be in person? Because um, I'm not saying that in-person doesn't have value, but I'm just saying it's not always practical or time effective or cost effective. Um, you just, you know, if I'm working with China and I'm based in Boston, Massachusetts, then I can't get on a plane every time I have to have a meeting. It's just not possible, right? Um, uh, same thing with Australia, same thing. And, you know, my teams were that dispersed. So it's like, okay, so um, what's available to me? When do I um, have a phone call? When do I have a video meeting? When do I have face-to-face you know, face -face meetings? When do I have group meetings versus one-on-ones? When do I do a pre-recorded video and send out a pre-recorded video? Because there are time periods you know, um, where it might make sense for me to record something, send it off to someone while they're sleeping, give them a break, and then we have a follow-up. Um, sometimes I'm going to do handwritten notes and actually send it in the mail, you know, send and somebody. That's, and, that's, and those, I bet, are treasures, right? That when people get those handwritten notes, that's, that's their favorite thing to get. Right. And I think um, so part of this is appreciating that um, some people are more visual, some people are auditory, some people, um, you know, appreciate having a, a, a written communication in advance so that they can consider the matter if they have to respond to me in a language other than their primary language, you know, um, and so look at the dynamics of the team and what you're trying to accomplish from an uh, an operational outcome perspective and from a team building perspective and from a, um, uh, uh, 
just a trust um, building perspective. And um, you got to think holistically. The other thing I'm saying to people is um, keep your meetings short. Uh, we keep meetings between 15 and 20 minutes, 30 minutes, um, because we know that um, anything more than that, you're losing people. And then, you know, we still have clients who say, we want to do something. We want an event. We want to retreat. We want, you know, two hours, three hours. I'm like going, okay, we're going to chunk it. We're mm. going to, you know, we're going to have 45 minutes and then we're going to change up the activities. We're going to um, uh, have small group discussions. We're again, going to push the envelope on the technology because can we do breakouts? Can we do, um, uh, you know, discussions differently? Can we have um, different presenters? Um, how are we going to structure that time so that we're chunking it in a way so that people are seeing the variety, but they're also being asked to participate? We, you know, we have standard meeting protocols. You come in, we send them to you in advance. You come in, you're on camera. Yeah, we put your full name there. I'm going to call you by name, Bella. I'm going to, you know, ask your opinion, but I'm going to tell you this in advance. And, you know, um, how do you structure things so that people are prepared uh, when they're participating? We keep them moving, even though they're not moving. And we do good follow up and we can still record so that if somebody wasn't able, they can do the catch up if they so choose, right? And if it's only a 15 minute meeting, it's okay. You'll take the time to watch that. And but if I, think, I have to sit and watch an hour meeting, oh, Marianne, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. right? To, to catch the five minutes of info that's pertinent to me, I might not do that. Right, and I think, but I think what's really important is, is you're looking at things holistically and you're saying how am I going to get the best level of engagement out of the particular forum and the structure of how I'm going to connect with people right what are my objectives just like with anything what do I want mm -hmm. for an outcome how do I work backwards from there what's technically possible what have these people been exposed to before what's the culture what do they need to know and Think about it logistically and holistically and very deliberately. And then, and then would you say that, and this is you know, really, you know, what coming from a lean perspective, you would say once you've set that intention and you've created essentially that experiment with this group of people, mm -hmm. you haven't really finished it until you sat back and say, okay, I, what actually happened? Did I achieve what I intended to achieve? And what do I learn from that? You know, the gap between what happened and what actually happened, that's what's going to make the next one better, right? So treating all of this as more learning cycles, right? And and not as, as just, just something that we're sure about and then we move on whether or not it worked. Yeah, and that's actually, that. you know, that's actually the um, the watchword for my career in my life. It's like, what did yeah. I learn from that? And how do I make sure that never happens again? Or how do I do more of this so that that right. does happen again? Right, right, right. This happened. How did that happen? I want to make sure I can do that one again. But, you know, because it wasn't just luck. Some, something made that happen. Wow. 
Well, so Marianne, tell us a little bit more about your book. So the book is called The Remote Work Handbook, and it's about operationalizing um, change and remote work initiatives in distributed with distributed and remote teams. And, you know, I, I'm a business person at heart, and also I'm an implementer. So I'm the person who has spent my career having to go in at the intersect between um, how do I identify the problem, but how do we operationalize it? And so I'm taking... 20 years of operationalizing problems and talking about all the learning. So everything that we've chatted about, Bella, how does one uh, approach? Um, how do you assess? How do you create that plan? Um, who are the stakeholders involved? How are you going to, at every stage of the way, think about things very deliberately and consciously with outcome-driven, um, uh, deliberate, conscious, mindful planning so that um, you get a, a better result, but also um, you have an opportunity to assess things along the way and be able to have measurability and be able to answer the question, you know, was this successful or wasn't this successful? Why did we do it this way? that there are the whys behind um, uh, all of the um, steps that we're asking you to take, that there's actually a methodology there. That sounds great. That sounds like a very, very helpful book for anyone who's involved in any type of change, because I would most change now is going to be in some kind of a distributed environment where you, whether you have people who are continuing to work remotely, if you're fully working remotely, if you're working with um, with uh, contractors, um, you're not going to have everybody on site anymore. I mean, it's it's, it's not that's just not the way the world is going forward. So yeah. that sounds like an extremely useful book. Yeah, we're really trying to um, we're trying to take a, a lot of practical knowledge that has been learned the hard way, you know, in living <laughs> laboratories. So it's not theoretical. It's not an academic approach. It is a an honest, really um, step by step guide for um, how do you actually get from concept to geez, this is just the way we do business now. And what are the um, specific steps that you can take along the way? That's great. That's great. So, Marianne, how can people find you? People can find me through um, LinkedIn if they want to talk to me personally. Um, Marianne Snow, it's M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. -I, -N -N -E. I know you're putting this in the show notes. And yeah. um, uh, people are more than... Um, more than um, welcome to reach out to me and and talk to me that way. We also have two websites, uh, Sophia S O P H A Y A, which, by the way, is um, the phonetic uh, the phonetic uh, spelling for the word Sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom, problem solvers. Wisdom, and, yes, yes, yeah. And so we really it was all about um, good problem solving. And the Remote Nation Institute um, is uh, also a great way to connect with us and through any of those means. That's great. That's great. Marianne Snow, what would be your one piece of advice for a young person studying out now? 
The one piece that I would say to anybody is don't be afraid to say yes and to, to try stuff. And I know that, um, you know, um, there are a lot of young folks coming in and, and very often when you're young in your career, you can feel a little intimidated by situations that you've never done before. But um, the only way to learn is to put your hand up and to make yourself available to those circumstances. So taking a risk and, um, and then being ready um, to not be perfect uh, because uh, you won't be perfect and admit your mistakes, learn from your mistakes. Just don't keep doing the same thing, you know, same mistake over again. Do it once, learn from it, make a new one next time. Make a, make, make a new mistake. Uh, I, and that is great advice. I, I know sometimes people coming out of school especially have been really feel that they have to be perfect all the time and striving for the grades. But once you are in the work environment, it's not about grades anymore. It's about, it, and it should have been in school. It should have been all about learning out of school it is really all about the learning so fantastic advice marianne snow thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean it's been my absolute pleasure bella um you know i have a big philosophy which is you know everyone that i meet is just a friend i haven't met yet so i'm looking forward to staying in touch absolutely thanks this is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Marianne Snow for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. What have you learned about remote work? What are your challenges and successes with remote work? We'd love to hear from you. Find Marianne at remotenationworks.org or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend about The Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of The Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.